This is a Clark University podcast. I think a lot of people, especially young people, really crave a connection with something real and natural these days because uh, so much of what is going on in the world is depressing. But I think there really is this desire to connect with nature. And when people get turned on to fungi, all of a sudden they become aware of this world, all of these diverse organisms that they never realized were there. That's very intriguing. I don't know, there's just something almost mystical about fungi uh, that is very beguiling. David Hibbett researches the fungi you can easily see, like mushrooms found throughout the woods or in your yard, perhaps even on your dinner plate. Meanwhile, Javier Tabima's research involves the type of fungi that cannot be seen from a distance. He also has experience with genomics and population genetics. The two are biology professors at Clark University and have discovered that students are becoming increasingly interested in studying fungi. One of the things that I've seen happen a lot recently is globalization of ideas. Something that has increased visibility of, of mycology overall is influencers, social media, like the number of people in Instagram or TikTok that are mycologists or amateur mycologists that, you know, show fungi and this and that, that has increased a lot of interest. And in addition to that, there is this, uh, like David said, this reconnection to things that are real. So with the advent of what it's very poorly called wokeism, trying to understand cultural and social differences in the world, it also comes the discovery of other things that have to do with traditions. For example, Chinese traditional medicine. It's very influenced by many fungi. There are edible mushrooms, there are drugs we get from fungi, there are products we make with fungi, so there are some very practical reasons. There are diseases that kill plants and people that are fungal. Uh, so there are all those reasons. But then also, um, there are some people who are just very good at popularizing mycology. So it's been kind of a personality-driven phenomenon, and without naming names, um, you know, there are a few individuals who have had an outsized impact on awareness about fungi and expectations about fungi, which um, I would say are, on balance, net positive. Yeah. Um, but, For sure. but there is misinformation, there is hype, you know, the, the nutraceutical aisles at uh, the supermarket are full of bottles of pills that contain things for which we have only the shakiest evidence that they do anything for you. A lot of those bottles of pills now have ground up fungal mycelium in them. With the rising interest in fungi, David and Javier are making discoveries in Massachusetts alongside students who are excited to explore the world of mycology. I'm Melissa Hansen, a producer in Clark's communications office, and this is Challenge Change. Uh, beer, yeah, fermented foods, bread, um, antibiotics, oh, all kinds percent. of drugs. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. uh, statins were discovered in fungi. Psilocybin, you know, the hallucinogenic compounds in magic mushrooms. I mean, there's a million ways that fungi impact our, our daily lives. You know, they're tremendously important in um, the carbon cycle. Mm -hmm. They're incredibly important in just uh, global ecosystems generally. Yeah, they're terrible for us in many other ways, like athlete's food, fungi. Yeah, that's a trivial annoyance. Yeah, I mean, yeast infections. Yeah. Dandruff. Mm -hmm. 
um, so many like what uh, asper aspergillosis there's so many diseases that are also caused by fungi i mean people say that plants are the the most important thing for life and i would disagree and i would say it's fungi yeah but i think there's a general appreciation of fungi now and in, in among the popular you know general public yeah. i mean people are really interested in mushrooms and and other fungi maybe even a little too interested there's a lot of um hype around medicinal mushrooms and the use of fungi for bioremediation and things and um, you know and there's a there there with all of those subjects but a lot of people are just ready to believe that mushrooms are, yeah. are the solution for all of hum humanity's problems yeah. um, and so we need more critical thinking yeah. it's rare to have two mycologists on a college campus especially at a small university like clark so Javier was hired as a genomicist, True. which is a very general True. field, and um, but, and but he was so awesome <laughs> that uh, seriously that we were willing to overlook the fact that he would, would be yet another mycologist. But I mean, having two mycologists at Clark is pretty unusual, right? It's a great idea. I mean, what? I think I think we're interested in the same kinds of questions, but it's true that just. I don't know, by historical accident, we work on different groups of fungi. We do. And I think that it's also a matter of different scopes that overlap. You're more in a big set of systematics questions across, you know, the entirety of uh, big mushrooms and shapes and how they evolve. I'm more in the genomic way, like yeah. how do, you know, how do genes change as consequence of, you know, the I evolutionary mean, pressures. I mean, when I got started, there were no eukaryotic genomes. True. So, different. And now there's way too many. Yeah. Way too many. Yeah, and we're making more. But I think it, we've come also to um, find that good intersection between both of the things that we do. Because, I mean, honestly, like, and this is not to make you more uncomfortable than what you usually are because of me, but David is an eminence on my college. And that's, that's really good because then you get to learn all the things that usually as a young faculty you don't get to learn because you don't have many mentors nearby so it's not only a great friend but it's also a mentor and you know that at the end of the day it's beneficial for the department the society because there's not that many mycologists in the world and actually great for me personally because i get to have someone that i can ask questions that have to do both with the science and the way that the university works i spotted two mushrooms behind david and asked him to give us a closer look one was round and let out a puff of spores as he picked it up. The other was nearly flat with ridges. This is a polypore, wood decay fungus. So these are the kinds of things I work on them. You can see them from a distance. They're beautiful. Um, yeah, so I'm really interested in the evolution of form and the evolution of nutrition, how fungi make their way in the world. But actually, the things that Javier works on are, I mean, Basidiobolus has a much more interesting genome, I would say, yeah. than these things. Show and tell continues as Javier grabs a few petri dishes from the counter. These are two microfungi that are extracted. This one has been extracted from soil, and this one has been extracted from frog poop. That's right, he said frog poop. Javier and a team of faculty and student researchers have been collecting frogs to examine their skin and feces. No frogs joined us for the recording of this podcast. The petri dish Javier is holding looks small, but it actually represents a major discovery. 
It's the first time a particular fungus called Basidiabolus has been found in Massachusetts. Yeah, so one of the reasons to be a mycologist is because you can make new discoveries. Um, you know, this is a obscure little microfungus that, <laughs> um, you know, has never been documented in Massachusetts before. So that's a nice discovery. There's tons of undescribed species. You know, the number of actual species of fungi is quite unknown. Reasonable estimates go up into the into the many millions, but there's about 150,000 described species. So lots and lots of discoveries to be made. The things that Javier works on are, you know, they're globally distributed, they're everywhere, but they're microscopic, so people don't see them. And so he actually made the first discovery of this fungus in Massachusetts this year, yes. which is kind of cool, whereas the things I work on are macroscopic, so they're well, easier to find. True, but yours have a little bit more of interest in the sense that, for example, the new project that we're working in, which is this mushroom, which is really cool that has two forms. One of them has gills, like most mushrooms do, but the exact same species, right, mm. has just a form that doesn't have them. It's just closed. So the question is, how did that evolve? How does it disperse the spores? Why does it exist? When students aren't out looking for fungi around Worcester, they're in the Hibbit and Tabima labs, working with genome sequencers and performing DNA extractions. One of our star students is <laughs> interested in testing this hypothesis that fungal extracts can boost the immune systems of honeybees or help the bees cure themselves of, of viruses that can limit colony production. And so she's got a very applied project. Um, but most of our students, most of our students are just sort of driven by curiosity. And a lot of them, you know, to be, to be clear, are they're not gonna continue with mycology after they leave here. They're just gaining skills in bioinformatics or laboratory methods, molecular biology that they can use um, yeah. in, in all kinds of different careers. Yeah. And that's totally fine. I mean, I, I don't, I'm not, we're not trying to create little clones of ourselves. <laughs> oh God, no, yeah. that'd be terrifying. That would be bad. That would be bad. No, but um, I would say that, like for example, two of the students, my first two students, like one of them is that she's a research technician at uh, Harvard Medical School, and the other one, it's a research technician in a biotech company. But they were able to get those jobs because of um, the techniques that they learned in the lab. So DNA extraction, RNA extraction, tissue culturing. And uh, they reached out to me because they wanted to do something that had to do with molecular biology, but they didn't do much. They didn't know much about what they could do. You know, the, the, the deal was like, I'll teach you how to do the methods. You help me build up the lab. And she ended up falling in love with molecular biology. But that's something a lot of people don't know about Clark is that we have Correct. PhD programs yes. um, we're one of the older PhD granting institutions in the country Second, I think. yeah uh, and we're really unusual because we're so tiny um, so we have a very small department um, so to have a PhD program in a department our size is unusual mm -hmm. but I think for mycologists this is a pretty great place to come oh, sure. uh, study because um, you know, in all humility, there are the two of us. And, you know, to have two mycologists is unusual. Believe it or not, David and Javier didn't grow up dreaming of studying fungi. Different pursuits in the sciences led them to mycology.
I went to college a very long time ago and I majored in botany. So I took, and back then you took classes in all the different ologies, all, you know, so I took plant courses, I took courses on algae, I took courses on mosses, and I took a couple courses on um, fungi. Uh, I really liked the moss courses, and so when I went to grad school, I had this idea that I would become a bryologist, and that's a moss specialist, but um, that didn't work out. And then I thought I'd be an a flowering plant person, and that didn't work out. So I ended up just kind of falling into mycology <laughs> by accident. So it was the power of positive failure. Um, oh yeah, that's, that's, we need to write a book about that. Yeah, no, I'm yeah. explaining this very badly, but I mean, no, the, no, the I truth agree. is that I, I, I started out as a plant biologist and it's only because my first project in grad school when I was a PhD student uh, was on a group of plants, but it just didn't work. You know, sometimes projects don't work. And the PI of the lab I was in was interested in fungi, so I needed a new project and I switched into mycology. Very serendipitous. Yeah. Um, so there was no planning involved at all. You know the crocodile hunter, right? Steve, uh, what's his name? Yeah, the one that got killed by that thing. Yeah. I really wanted to be like him, so that's why I went to biology. Really? Oh yeah. <laughs> and then uh, I thought on my senior year, because we in Colombia we have to do a thesis, so I said, okay, I'm gonna go and look for big mammals in the jungles of the tropic. I went for three weeks and I hated it. Too many bugs, solitude was driving me crazy. So I came back and I, you know, counted my losses and I said, okay, can be in the field, what can I do? Oh, computers and the lab. And so I did my undergrad and my master's in corals. Like corals, like. Cool the ones that people care about because they're bleaching. Not yeah. those ones, the ones that are like fans. Mm -hmm. And that was an experience, And but based on the um, computational and molecular knowledge that I got, I was hired by probably one of the most important people in my life, which is, uh, she's a really big uh, mycologist and plant pathologist in South America, Silvia Restrepo. And she hired me for her lab and then I started doing a PhD with her and that's how I learned about fungi diversity, but I don't think I care about fungi until actually the end of my PhD when I finally understood how weird these things are. To learn more about biology at Clark, visit clarku.edu biology. Challenge Change is produced by Andrew Hart and Melissa Hansen for Clark University. Find other episodes wherever you listen to podcasts. One, two, three. Clark! <laughs>